So this is today. Today is yesterday and tomorrow is also today. You traveled through time to the present. Yes. Yeah, I don't think you get how time travel works. It's like we're stuck. You know, like a, like a needle on a scratch record. I wake up every day right here, right in Punxsutawney, and it's always February 2nd. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. It's a thing where the same day keeps happening. Time. in a damn time loop or something well it's groundhog day again and that must mean that i'm professor robert eg black and i'm here with molly balin from escape from new york minute here to discuss groundhog day again still always welcome <laughs> i'm trying not to completely laugh and fall out of <laughs> my chair right now that's amazing <laughs> hi thank you for having me <laughs> now groundhog day when did you see this first oh my god I think it was 14 when it came out. So I saw it pretty much like when it came out, if I remember correctly. I love Bill Murray. I'm a Bill Murray fan. So I think I might even see it in the theater with uh, some friends. I have a vague recollection of seeing it in the theater. So I don't know if that was an AI implant or not, but I feel like <laughs> I, I checked that out early and, and, and dug it. So yeah, it's this kind of snarky, also heartwarming, also spiritually samsara existential Buddhist tale. Yeah. And so it, it works. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? When was the first time that you checked it out? I saw it in the theater when it came out. Probably was with my mom and a couple of my sisters. I'm pretty sure that we saw it at the Man 3 in Hastings Ranch, which doesn't exist anymore. Oh, where's that? Pasadena, California. Oh, cool. Represent where from LBC. <laughs> <laughs> so Cal. And I saw it probably once a year. From then on, I know at some point we had it on video and then from 20, what, 2013 to now, I've seen it over 400 times, which is a lot. I'm sorry, how many? <laughs> over 400. <laughs> well, probably somewhere around 450. Wow. Now, because just for my blog, I watched it. It was 365 days in a row, then once a month for three years. Plus, when I found new versions of the script, I'd spend like an extra week on it and watch it every day. That's amazing. It's, it's a lot. It is a lot. The nuance that you've taken from this movie is vast. It's too much ah. sometimes. <laughs> That's kind of cool, though. I really I appreciate from that perspective of really getting to know something, a piece of art that well. Mm. I had hoped it would be. I would say after the fact, it was definitely like enlightening about film about lots of philosophical stuff i could take this movie in so many directions before i started the blog i was doing a competitive speech and debate in college oh cool and every impromptu round i used groundhog day as one of my examples no because i could tie it to anything there's so much going on in this movie it could be tiny little moments it's the overall plot I mean, the basic gist is a guy who has to become a better person and realize he's a dick yeah yeah. But there's a lot more if you focus on specific characters or specific scenes and now specific minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually kind of curious as somebody who's seen this this many times, can you recall something that you took for granted, but then some things that surprised you contextually, like after after watching this many, many times? 
you know, like, was there some surprise that you found? I don't know about like, no, like big ones, like things I took for granted, as you say, but I love that still I see new things Mm. and notice stuff I didn't notice before. Sometimes it's minor stuff like the gazebo a few weeks ago where I noticed the gazebo that isn't in the movie is in one scene Mm. because there's two gazebos in the square. I've been there and they kept one out of the movie. And I'm pretty sure it's because that's the corner of the square where they parked all the like film trucks and dressing rooms and all that. And so they just didn't point the camera that way, but it was there. And I'm like, oh, cool. I still hadn't noticed that. And there's acting choices that I love even more the more I see it. Like we just got past. Everyone loves Ned, (laughs) but the way he keeps having to touch Bill Murray is remarkable. And it's just like his way of connecting to him is physical Mm -hmm. and it's hilarious. I love that actor who plays Ned. Oh yeah. Stephen Tobolowsky. Yeah. You know, what's creepy about that guy? Cause he's played like, I mean, Ned's such a nerd in this, Mm -hmm. like kind of an annoying nerd, Yeah. but he's also played like he's in Californication, plays Marcy's wife or Marcy's wife. (laughs) Marcy's husband briefly. (laughs) It's Stu. I think it's Stu, but he's just, you know, I think he's in single white female. And so he, he plays these like, kind of villainous, like gross characters, but he also plays like fun, loving and amusing characters Mm -hmm. all at the same time. He's kind of a, like a John Lithgow in a way to me, like kind of in the same vein where you can do like really heinous, but you can also do really lovable at the same time in his range. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to find the description he put out once about his audition for this. He's not even in this minute. We're talking about him, but that's how big a character Ned is. Like you said, villainous in a way, that's what his Ned was in his audition. I believe he went and sat on someone's lap and like got like up really close to them and made them uncomfortable. And that's there. His take on the characters. He's, I mean, Phil described him last minute as a leech. Yeah. He's totally an energy vampire for sure. (laughs) That's a great way of putting it. And so we start this minute and Ned's already gone. We're up by, or we're on Gobbler's Knob technically. It's two levels above the ground. The reporters are at the first level. And Phil has just gotten to Rita and Larry. And he uses Larry's camera lens to check how he looks (laughs) as a mirror. Not that he has anything to fix. His hair is his hair. (laughs) Because it could be flat, maybe. It always looks the same because it's a movie. Right. And it's and it's an eternal day. So Mm -hmm. I guess there's that. (laughs) Well, yeah. They don't want someone who has like parted hair where it's gonna look different from day to day mm-hmm. and they have to keep cutting it. Bill Murray has a specific hairdo that works for this. God, I never thought of that. But that just makes it funnier that he checks his reflection. You're so right, though. It's probably why he worked in improv, though, is it, he always looks the same so he could be any character anytime. Mm. Like Stephen Tobolowsky. Yeah, he's one of those credit card tools that you keep in your wallet, you know, that has <laughs> like all the different like not yep. like notches on it, whatnot. Like you can kind of do anything. I had never... This is the genius. This is the genius, everybody, of having somebody who has seen a movie this many times and can reflect in this kind of manner. Because on like Bill I Murray's never <laughs> on Bill Murray's hair, but how genius is that? Seriously, that like that weird fuzzy receding, you know, hairline is like eternally like you're good to go. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not much you can, you know, you've got to do with that. No. It's good. It's good stuff. At, at worst, depending on the weather, you gotta tease it just slightly, but it's gonna look the same every time. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, very true. And we also get him being inappropriate with Rita again. Oh, Christ. So did you sleep okay without me? You tossed and turned, didn't you? <laughs> to which she's good at playing against him, which is um, both Rita and, and Andy McDowell. 
says, you're incredible, which he, of course, takes as a compliment. Who told you? <sighs> but she's all business, so it's Groundhog time. And we get a wide shot now of the upper level of Gobbler's Knob. The inner circle guys are walking in. There is a Miss Groundhog and a Groundhog King up on the stage. Those titles are a little sexist in how they don't go together. So I looked up the real thing. They do crown a Groundhog King and Queen, which seem to often be teenagers out of high school. I'm not sure. But they also crown a Little Mr. and Little Miss Groundhog that are only kindergartners, which is adorable. And it's just the Punxsutawney area schools can apply. And so they have these two little kids that dress up also. They don't have them in the movie, but I understand that. I don't understand why they made it Miss Groundhog and Groundhog King. It could have just been King and Queen and be simple. They do show up again at the dance later. You see them dancing together. There's some continuity. The real inner circle, they have strange titles that we do not get in the film. The main people currently are the Fair Weatherman, the Shingle Shaker, the Sky Painter, Rainmaker, Iceman, Thunder Conductor. It's always like weather-related bizarre titles. When people see this, they just assume Buster's the mayor, which he's not. Well, as far as we know, he's not. He could also be the mayor. He would be the president of the inner circle and probably be the fair weather man. There is a great thing, though, going on in Punks in, no, in Woodstock right now, where the movie was filmed. Woodstock Willie got his prediction wrong this year. But on the Woodstock Groundhog Days Facebook page, Woodstock Willie has put out two statements now that I've seen blaming the mayor. <laughs> because the mayor ran the festival for the first time, and Woodstock Willie has claimed that he messed up his translation of Groundhoggies. <laughs> Oh my God. I, I just love that. <laughs> that Woodstock has gone so far in on this that they have Woodstock Willie putting out public statements. <laughs> I mean, Punxsutawney Phil is supposed to be immortal. Woodstock Willie is just hilarious, though. <laughs> I guess everyone needs an antagonist. Mm-hmm. And it's a page devoted to Groundhog Day in Woodstock. It has to somehow drag your attention the rest of the year. Right. Yeah. Someone needs a job. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> otherwise, this page will go away. Well, we're still following it. We won't notice. <laughs> Probably. I say as a Movies by Minute podcaster, as soon as my show's over, you forget I exist. Some of you. Some of you will drag yourselves along to my next show. Oh, that's always true, though. I mean, people are always discovering things. Mm-hmm. There's always new folks who like stumble upon stuff. I mean, that's I mean, that's the beauty of, I think, the, the movie in general. I mean, here we are. I mean, what is it? Almost 30. Yeah, 30 years you know, next like year. 29 years since. It, yep. I mean, that's a long time. And, and we're still talking about it. Because like it's that good, yeah. You know the art is that good that holds up. Well, they made a Super Bowl commercial last year. That's right. So that's right. It's it's very much something that people still recognize. I have students who know part of it who've never seen it because I teach high schoolers a lot, and they 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 have no idea what this movie is, but they'll know part of it or they'll recognize Ned Ryerson or they'll. That Super Bowl commercial got it in a bunch of people's heads, even if they hadn't seen the movie. See, that's pretty amazing. Time loops go all over the place. That's why we have a segment in this show that we'll get to in a little bit. We talk about other time loops because they're everywhere. He begins with okay on me in three, two, one. I should note that was the retconned title of my first entry on my blog. (laughs) I decided on day two that I was going to use quotes from the movie for every title. Mm. And so I went back and changed the title of the first one. So that was it on me in three, two, one. Second August, 2013. Oh, wow. Almost 10 years ago now. And then Phil does the beginning of his spiel, which the script tells us. And I think we can infer it as well. He's pretty good at this. Once a year, the eyes of the nation turn to this tiny hamlet in western Pennsylvania to watch a master at work. 
the master, Punxsutawney Phil, the world's most famous weatherman, the groundhog, who, as legend has it, can predict the coming of an early spring. So I guess the question we have to ask ourselves today is, does Phil feel lucky? And in my notes, I put up that Rita puts up a couple white power signs, but <laughs> that's not real. She's, she's saying, okay. <laughs> when I looked at it this time, I'm like, why does she do two of those? What is she doing? <laughs> She's very uh, eager. It's her first time as a producer on a location segment. She's into it. And he did well. He gets worse, but he did well for that part. <laughs> Actually, he gets worse almost immediately because they're filming the event and he keeps talking. If the mic could pick you up a moment ago, it's still going to pick you up. I mean, maybe he turned his mic off. He is holding it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some mics have a, they could some have a, hand they mics could have do a have a click switch, off. Yeah. Yeah, and some don't. Because otherwise his next bit is just bizarre. Because he's like, that is the same old shtick every year. The guy comes out with a big stick, raps on the door. They pulled the a little rat out. And the guy that pulls him out is, of course, the groundhog handler, Bill Hoffman. The others, I, I gave nicknames to all of these people because they don't have names. I called them Igor, Goober, Stash, Santa, and Buster. Of course, we know he has a name. And there's like three other guys that don't need nicknames because we don't see them ever, like, in any of the rest of the movie. Goober does get some lines later when Phil steals the groundhog. And they also have a slight continuity problem because they shift around a bit as the camera angle changes. I think a couple of them were really eager to be on camera. Mm. And also Goober is standing at the microphone, even though he hasn't talked and he's not going to talk. Buster's the one who's going to talk. Hmm. And he nods his head with the knock of each, like the nod of the cane. Like they've rehearsed the scene a couple of times and he's a little too mm -hmm. into it. And he's the reason I always call him Goober is because he's got a goofy smile and he's way too excited to be either he thinks his character is really excited to be there or he's really excited to be in the movie or both. And he amuses me. Yeah, no, he's super happy for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, maybe he's just having a really awesome day. I mean, you know, it's kind of rowdy. You know, and you get to dress up and... Well, unlike the guy I call Stash, the one with the like mustache big behind him, mm -hmm. who looks like he is barely awake, which makes sense. It's what, 7, 7.20 in the morning? Yeah, he's kind of dour for sure. He seems like he's asleep. I don't know what time of day they filmed this shot, but he looks like he's tired. Although when they cut, he then looks really excited. So good for him. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you get to be a groundhog handler exactly? Well, to be the handler, I think you just have to either get your own groundhog and raise it, raise its kids. Mm. I know in Punxsutawney, they have like officially Punxsutawney Phil lives in a climate controlled aquarium kind of in the library hmm. and you can go visit him. Speaking of weird karma. <laughs> <laughs> you can do a touring test with him. Yeah. I just, can you imagine like that's your... You basically have been raised by a hyper-intelligent primate and you are hauled out at the same time every year uh -huh. to do this like weird spectacle. And then the rest of the time you live in a climate controlled glass cage, like yep. in a library where people come and like observe you. Like that's a strange, like, I'm just wondering what his like energetic spiritual trajectory <laughs> has been amongst his lives that this is like you get reborn as Puxatani Phil, you know? Well, officially he's immortal and has been alive for now it'd be 130 something years. Wow. That's some vampire Lestat shit yeah, right there. Yeah. Like that guy's gonna. <laughs> so he, he probably designed <laughs> the enclosure in the library for himself. He's quite smart by now. I'm sure he's taken over. Do they, does he get like a water bed or something? Like, does he get some like? <laughs> Whatever's the get, most Does he have a sensual like the 70s? Best food, <laughs> regular massages. 
or there's some hot groundhogs who come visit <laughs> him. Like he can have like groundhog orgies in there and shit. Like, does he get like, does he get special treatment? <laughs> I just want to know, do they ever let like the other, I mean, there's like a dozen famous groundhogs now. Woodstock Willie was one. There's one, I'm forgetting his name now, but there was one in New Jersey who died this year, right before February 2nd. Oh, that would be Milltown Mel. Rest in peace. There's a couple in Canada. I mean, there's a whole bunch of them. I wonder if they ever get to just hang out. Or there's beefs. Right. I mean, I guess I took it to a darker place. You're like, maybe they're friends and they can hang out. And then I was no, like, no, I mean, they disagree with that. each there's other. Like, there's animosity. <laughs> They don't put out statements about each other. I assume the human organizations around them have agreed not to go at each other Mm, so that they can keep doing this. I mean, especially Woodstock. Woodstock has a particular claim to it because they were where this movie was filmed. Mm. Some of them are just copycats. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I am. I'm dismissive of the other ones. I've seen Woodstock Willie in person, so I, I accept him. It's great. You've actually seen him. Yeah, I went when I was doing the year of the blog where I did it every day. I went to Woodstock for February 2nd. Oh, cool. Got introduced on stage for the trivia contest, met some people who worked on the movie, one of the DJs. I met, like, hung out for a while with the location manager, and he threw a question to me on the walking tour. Oh, man. He thought I'd have a better answer, which I did. I corrected one of their inner circle. I corrected him because they had a location marked wrong on their map. And I'm like, yeah, it, that's not where that was. He's like, no, we, we checked. And I'm like, well, here's the screenshot. Oh, my God. It shows that they weren't over there. That's amazing. That's he, epic. He, did, actually. he didn't like that. Well, you know, then do better next but, time. But that was before <laughs> he was the one who then had to introduce me up on stage for, to start the trivia contest. So I guess it was oh. okay. He didn't dislike it too much. Right. Well, you know, you, you get somebody who's thoroughly entrenched in the material and yeah, mm-hmm. you haven't done the thorough research. Yeah, that was six months into the project. And so I, yeah, I kind of had the script memorized at that point. I've forgotten a lot of it now. When it's on, I can follow it, but mm-hmm. I couldn't quote it all to you outright anymore, but some of it. And I definitely remember how lines are said when I read them. Yeah, but still, I bet if you, you know, if I were to sit you down in front of it, you'd be like, you could pretty much rattle off, Mm -hmm. you know. I think I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I was on a plane and a friend of mine hadn't seen it. How is that even possible? I was going to watch, I was going to watch it on my iPad (laughs) because, you know, it was during that year of the blog. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, plug your earbuds in. I'm good. And so I just watched it without sound. I knew what they were saying. Mm. And that was, you know, a copy without subtitles because it was my backup copy on my iPad. So I could always have the movie <laughs> in. I think that's cool. I think there's a, I don't know, there's a, a love though. Like there's like a connective love and material when you know something that well. Yeah. At least I mean, there's a few pieces, there's a few movies that I, I don't know that I've watched something that many times, but there are a few pieces that I have seen like a many, 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 many times that I now have like an emotional connective. Yep. I have, I have a heart connection with them. That happened. This was the few years later in the blog. Cause the, the blog had a couple gaps. Mm. Day 1000 happened to be the day I turned in my master's thesis, which was about blogging. And so I ended the blog day thousand. It's round number. Cool. A year later, I'm like, I'm going to start it up. So I started it literally the next calendar day, a year later, as if it hadn't stopped. Wow. Same movie that I had been on. But at one point I was kind of having a bad month and I kept getting weirdly political in the blog. And I'm like, I need to stop this. And I turned on mm. Sing Street, 
And I ended up watching Sing Street. I think it's the second most movie I watched for the blog most number of times. It was something like 14 days in a row, 15 days, Mm -hmm. because it just put me in a really good mood. Even though it's got really depressing parts of that movie, it's so optimistic and nice. And Mm. I just got stuck in my own little world for a couple of weeks just watching that and writing about that movie. Because you can vote just like these, this show or these like movies by minute shows. If you like the movie, I mean, you better like the movie. I, I being one of the ones who deliberately picked a movie I hated once. Ah, but even oh, that's that was right. fun. Yeah. yeah, but that was that was part of the gag of that whole thing. Right. Though. Mandy Sucks Minute was all about yeah. how much can I rant about how bad this is. And mm-hmm. there was only one episode of that show where I was like, no, this minute's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I just attacked it constantly. Yeah, but that's a good, that was a good trope, right? right. Like that, that was I the point. Yeah. The same reason yeah. I did the room minute is you can look at a bad movie and still have a really good discussion from focusing in on what does it say about us that we're doing, even having this conversation. Right. Like we're talking about Ex Machina, Groundhog Day, and Eternal Sunshine. They're mm-hmm. different movies, but they also connect. And as you said yesterday, on like our humanity, like what it means to be people mm-hmm. from different perspectives, like programming now. Repetition, which brings you to like Paul Hannum's thing I talked about in a previous episode, the Groundhog Day effect is this idea that your life is every day is the same. Mm. You get this sort of impression of your, depending on what your job is or what school is like for you or whatever, and it gets repetitive and it gets old. You need to change up the pattern. You can't necessarily control what your life is. You can't necessarily get a new job. So you have to fix your attitude in some other way, like Phil does. Mm. And then Eternal Sunshine. Maybe you could try to erase things, but it doesn't work in reality yet. Come on, Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) If we're like, he wants to put chips in your head. I'm like, yeah, I want one, but I'm weird. Like, I would love that. I I like the internet for, I don't like stories like on Facebook stories or something where you put it up there and it goes away. I never liked Snapchat. I want to be able to find my tweet from 10 years ago Mm -hmm. if I need to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm very bizarre that way. I think it's that merging of of humanity and cybernetics is exceptionally fascinating, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm not saying that I be like, Ooh, I mean, it's it's scary in, mm-hmm. in concept. Yeah. I don't know that I want to be an early adopter for that technology. Right. I, I read Terminal <laughs> Man by Michael Crichton. I don't want to be the first one. Mm-hmm. But once they've tested it out and, you know, it doesn't like when it glitches, it doesn't make you glitch or cause you to have a stroke. Then I'm in. Right. Or soon thereafter. <laughs> right. It also took me a few years to get an, an iPhone. Yeah. I want to know it works. Yeah. We we want to make sure it's like you're saying, it's not going to stroke you out. There is, um, I was reading a, an article and it was about this gentleman who had ALS mm. and they had actually put a chip in. I don't know if you read this. They had actually put a chip in his head and had connected it to a computer. So they were able to actually ask him questions and however the, whatever the code was would go to a computer. And so they could actually, and it takes forever. I mean, it takes forever to do, but they were actually getting communications back from him about like, I would like to have a beer or, you know, I want to be like moved in this certain way. And that to me is like, oh my gosh, that's like the very vanguard of that technology. There's great uses for this kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, I don't want to use this word. I was going to say normal people, but that's not fair. People who think they're normal. There, that's better. Like they take it as more of a threat is like, you want to put this weird chip and I'm like, you know, you carry one in your pocket all the time, right? They're already tracking you. (laughs) 
you don't need to be afraid of that. Yeah. Plus, no one wants to track you. You're nobody. <laughs> Usually. Some, sometimes it's the celebrities that are paranoid. And I'm like, okay, some people would want to track you. Fine. Right. But also, they already could. So the end of the minute, he continues talking. They pull a little rat out. They talk to him. The rat talks back. And then they tell us what's going to happen. There's a reaction shot from the crowd here that I did notice something new. Mm. I don't think it's on purpose because I have specifically looked to see if they had a Nancy Taylor in the crowd in the right place and they don't. But there is someone with very similar hair really close to where Nancy's going to be standing later, but she's wearing black gloves and not white. So it definitely wasn't deliberate. And I was hoping it was when I saw her hair. I'm like, did they actually put a double there to cover for uh, what Marita Garrity for later? But no. It's just 80s hair. <laughs> it's just 80s hair. Yeah. <laughs> Most of life is just junk, right? It's, it's filler. And then there's these moments when all the randomness turns into something perfect. It's like life's dropping all the bullshit for a second to show us how amazing it could be all the time if it wanted to. Hmm. I don't know. I think maybe we're supposed to become like better people. No, I honestly don't even know how that could be possible. Never think about it. We must miss so many of them. All those tiny perfect things are just poof, gone, lost forever. But not today. That is a disturbingly inspirational idea, Mark. It's a perfect day. You couldn't plan a day like this. Well, you can. It just takes an awful lot of work. Time. Last revision is what counts, apparently. What if we found them all? All the perfect things in this one town, in this one day, we could collect them. So your time loop of the week. Rattlestar Rick Lactica <laughs> from Rick and Morty. Which I had forgotten a lot of this episode. It was fun. I watched it again this morning just to review and I'm like, okay. It's just weird fun. Yeah, it's, I mean. You got the B story with Jerry falling off the roof and floating and all that, which is interesting. But the main plot is a space snake bites Morty <laughs> and they kill it. And then he replaces it with a different snake on the snake planet where they have lots of different snakes who are all very racist, apparently, <laughs> <laughs> which is a bizarre setup. And then it proceeds to briefly be very much Terminator. A snake from the future comes to kill someone. And then it goes into, I think you described it when you were telling me what your time was. It's like back to the future. They save snake Abraham Lincoln from getting assassinated, but that leads to snake Hitler existing in the present. I really want to go back to that scene because there's a whole bunch of snakes that suddenly have time travel. And I feel like every one of them's outfit is a reference to a different time travel movie because mm -hmm. they're all dressed very differently. I mean, these are racist snakes, so they're going to have different cultures and all these different things going on. But the hilarious thing about the whole episode is we never know what the snakes are saying. They're just hissing. Although apparently their writing is real and their math on the board is based on an actual published paper of like physics paper. Oh my God. They just turned into little squiggles to replace what would have been the writing. That's amazing. I love that the the eighties flashback of them going to like give them the technology, yeah. you know, that scene just heartwarms me. But yeah, what it, it sort of 
cascades that you know you're specifically talking about like nazi snakeism and there's all these snakes that are literally just like teleporting and dropping in yeah and there's like that beautiful scene where they're outside of the bunker and you just see like snake bodies just coming out piling up yeah the the published paper that they used for it was called tensor networks and graphical calculus for open quantum systems oh my god published in the journal of quantum information and computation and so they use that math as their snake math <laughs> which is which is like, Rick and Morty can be so bizarre sometimes. What was funny is when you at first said this episode, I didn't remember which one it was, and I looked up just Rick and Morty time loop, and there is a whole bigger Rick and Morty thing that came up at the end of let's see, episode you're talking about is season four, episode five, the season finale of season five. They've had a evil Morty that was in season one because they always have alternate universes and stuff. And they specifically keep referencing that this episode is canon. It takes place in continuity. And Rick doesn't like continuity. (laughs) But we get Evil Morty comes back and the implication that current Morty is actually going to be that Evil Morty. And it's because he's going through all this stuff with Rick. And so essentially season five has Morty in a time loop back to season one. So the whole show is a big time loop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought about doing that. But like that last episode is really I've seen it a few times and I'm just like, what's going on? Because there's the whatever the quantum finite curve and, you know, removing spoiler alert, uh, removing all of the because there's only a select amount of universes that have Rick is like the smartest man. And so it's kind of resetting all of that. Yeah. And they go to the the Citadel, which he specifically says the Citadel (laughs) takes place in canon. So it's like they can't just have a one-off episode. It has to tie in. I think there is like, I can't remember which episode it is. I can't. (laughs) COVID brain. Who knows when anything's happening anymore? They're all the same. There's a a, like a life in the Citadel episode. Mm -hmm. There's like an alternative Rick and Morty is like cops. And then it's just, you know, things going down in the Citadel. It's almost like uh, interstellar cable kind of an episode, but yeah. Yeah. And minor thing I would point out mm-hmm. the episode Rattlestar Rick Galactica takes place around Christmas because Jerry's putting up Christmas lights. And I have said before, there are a whole bunch of time loop Christmas movies. I think I've only actually specifically mentioned one so far on this show, but I'll get to more later. Probably when it's around Christmas for me. Why do you think there's so many time loop Christmas movies? It comes down to the way we look at Christmas in movies. Your main character is always someone who's like going home for Christmas and they have to realize Mm. that it's like Phil going to Punxsutawney, the small town and your family is that important thing that's going to be with you forever. And then we have a lot of like Hallmark movies that are romance on Christmas. And so you get a bunch of time loop ones. It also, it's the Shane Black thing. Christmas adds value, Mm. like cheap production value is Christmas decorations and lights and fancy outfits and warm coats. It makes everything cozy. Mm. So I think, I think it's, it's easy fodder for that. And we even had a new one this past year, which I've already talked about, which was just called Christmas again, (laughs) which was a kid's film basically. And parts of that movie are brilliant use of time loop. Mm. Parts of it are just dumb (laughs) as time loops do. My time loop. I wanted to mention this week is actually too big to really go into detail on, but I, I like being able to mention some that aren't movies or TV sometimes. And I want to talk about, at least briefly, Stephen King's The Dark Tower series. Never read it. Which is seven main novels published from 1982 to 2004. So they were kind of spread out through his career. And they are follow sort of a gunslinger in this weird fantasy post-apocalyptic wasteland is how it starts. And then it gets weirder. And it ties into a bunch of other Stephen King books and weird places like they briefly go through the reality where the stand happened and everyone's dead at one point. 
They interact with Father Callahan from Salem's Lot, shows up as a major character halfway through the series. And this isn't even much of a spoiler because anyone who's familiar with the Dark Tower movie, which mostly sucks, but is brilliant casting. (laughs) The movie is not good because they tried to compress the entire story into this one lump movie and it doesn't work. Great casting, though. That is essentially a sequel to the series because at the end of the series, the whole time Roland, because it was originally inspired by the poem Child Roland to the Dark Tower came by Robert Browning. Roland gets to the Dark Tower finally, and he's going to go inside and blow this horn and it's supposed to like fix all of reality is breaking. And instead, he is now back at the first page of the first book and he has to do it again. And so this quest keeps repeating over and over is the implication. And because Stephen King, the other stories he wrote later were set during the series, we don't really know what happens next. Like, does he do it better the next time? Does he do it worse? Is this why reality is breaking? But it goes down to the basic like time loop structure of any of these stories is that a certain point, your life, whatever you put into it, like doing podcasts like this is going to get very repetitive. Mm. And what can change is you. Roland has to have a better attitude this time. Maybe he won't sacrifice Jake at the end, oh, spoilers, at the end of the first book published in 1982. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Jake comes back in the next book (laughs) as alternate realities and all that. And that was part of the movie, actually, is that once again, he had to recover Jake from a different reality. Hmm. And so you can get stories like that. That's big. Took place over decades and multiple books and other stories and was going to have a TV show, but Amazon has passed on. I don't know if they ever actually filmed a pilot i know it about the time that like covid was coming they were getting ready to turn it a tv series out of it which would have been better than the movie and then it went away Mm. so at the moment it's just books but hey books are good yes they are yeah it's a good time to read yeah weirdly the dark tower series is kind of when i stopped reading stephen king too like he finished the dark tower and then i was like okay i get it (laughs) (laughs) and i just kind of moved on like I was reading him from when I was, a, I think I first got the Gunslinger, the first Dark Tower book when, I guess it would have been when the second one came out in 87, Drawing of the Three, and then read them as they came out and loved them. That was my time loop for this week. And you said there were seven or eight books in that series? Well, there are seven books. And then he wrote another one later that is set in between books four and five. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily add to the overall story, but it's an interesting take on the main character and another thing happening to him. Okay. And he had a novella that was set, I think, right before the first book that came out sometime in the middle. Starts with the gunslinger. If listeners want to hear more of you. You, you talked about Escape from I mean, Escape from New York Minute last time, which you co-hosted with Eric, mm-hmm. but you also did Cabin Minute Cast, Yes. Right? Yeah, totally. Yes. Good memory. Yeah. That was one of the first movies by Minute shows I listened to. Oh my God. Seriously? I am deeply mm-hmm. honored. Thank you. Yep, that was right when I was getting into this. Sean German contacted me from Groundhog Minute because he wanted me as a guest. And then I, I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'll listen to his show. And then I'm like, what else is out there? I'm like, people are doing Cabin in the Woods. I'm in. That show was great. Sean has been a, a Sherpa of, of mi- movies by minute podcasters because Sean mm-hmm. really, I think I want to say because Heidi, who's my co-host, they they did yeah. a, a podcast initially. Spinal Tap Minute. Spinal Tap. Thank you. And and I think Sean did some some heavy lifting with tech. And so he helped us to kind of set up 
for cabin too so yeah shout out to sean german wherever you are out there being a podcasting <laughs> badass he'll but, be here next week so, so. <laughs> yeah come back and listen to sean because sean is awesome and he's already been on once with dave they were in minute two. Oh, cool awesome yeah because they did they have some groundhog uh mm-hmm. street cred as well they're the reason i'm here oh that's good stuff i probably would have ended up doing a podcast at some point anyway but they've got me to the format that works for my obsessiveness <laughs> Thank you, listeners, for listening along. Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. You can tune in every Tuesday for Minutia Ex Machina, every Wednesday for more Groundhog Day, and every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. And now you can find all three of those shows in a single feed, an existential trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter at Groundhog Day MXM and on Instagram and Facebook at Groundhog Day Project. This has been a production of Lemming Drop Studio. You can find links to these and more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. And you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Till next time. Through time. What is wrong in the end which never comes? Or which comes again and again? Laugh, laugh, laughing. Like waves. Since the Big Bang set everything in motion, everything that happens in this universe has to be the way it is. Man, are you hungry? I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Particles unfolding the way they're destined to. How do you sleep at night? You've never seen Groundhog Day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Groundhog Day is not a documentary. And I should have saved... Oh, see, this is bad planning. <laughs> I should have saved... Anyone who actually read The Dark Tower would get this. I should have saved my talking about it to episode 19. Oh, wow. I missed. <laughs>